listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is Delaney Stoner, and I'm the Families Director here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee, Florida, and our heart is to reach the city by loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We'd love to have you join us as we gather each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you would like to make a financial contribution, learn more about DCC, or contact us, please visit downtowncommunitychurch.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon and thank you for being a part of our mission as we continue to spread the gospel to Tallahassee and beyond. Well, if you've been tracking with us this summer, then you know we are going through the book of James together. Uh, And if you haven't been, uh, this is actually a great Sunday to drop in because you're going to get a big snapshot of what James talks about content-wise. In fact, if you would read through the book of James, uh, it's five chapters long. It is one of the first books that we have recorded that's written in the New Testament. And in the book of James, he spends a disproportionate amount of time compared to almost every other New Testament writer talking about a subject that I think is very important but oftentimes underemphasized. And here's, here's what it is. How we communicate. How we communicate, especially how we communicate to one another. And as odd as that might sound, James, well, as we pick up in chapter 3, is going to spend verse-wise the majority of chapter 3 talking about controlling how we communicate or controlling it, as the Bible puts it, because it tries to, you know, alliterate stuff, taming the tongue, taming the tongue. Now for us, it's not necessarily necessarily a, a, a tongue thing. It's, you know, taming the tongue and taming the you know, fingers as we type because they didn't have email taming the thumbs as you text away and in 140 characters or less, let everybody know how wrong they are, you know, um, but taming essentially how you communicate. What's interesting again is in the book of James, he has already talked about this a couple times. He said uh, earlier, uh, that you and I ought to be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In other words, the means by which we communicate to one another ought to be that we listen well. And by listening well, it doesn't mean you just sit there and say, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, what a good listener. No, a lot of listening well is asking good questions, having good you know, feedback, but you would listen well um, or be quick to listen. You would be slow to speak and slow to become angry. He then says a little bit later in chapter one that you and I, um, our religion... It, by religion, it's not, you know, organized, institutionalized, because theirs was a little grassroots version of what was Judaism at the time. But Christianity, our Christianity, your Christianity, my Christianity, he says, if we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue, then our religion or our Christianity is worthless, and then he spends all the, the first half of chapter three, if not more, talking about the importance of how we communicate. And the question is, that I want to kind of lead us into, is why? Why? Why would James spend, because it seems like, if we're being honest, the places where the church goes wrong, the places where the church, you know, is headed down one course and kind of veers off course a little bit as it, turn, as it relates to obeying God, most of that means morality. It seems like how we talk yeah, I mean, you know, you could be nicer at times, you know, you were walking down the, you know, the hallway at midnight and you stepped on a Lego and you said something that you didn't mean to say, or, you know, at work something happened, but, but why would James spend so much time talking about how we communicate? And here's, here's why I think this subject is so, or one of the reasons I think this subject is so extraordinarily important. The primary call of the Bible, of Jesus, and of the gospel on the Christian's life is to love your neighbor, for me to love my neighbor as myself. 
One of the primary ways I love my neighbor is through how I communicate to my neighbor. What I say to my neighbor, how I validate my my neighbor, how I spend time with my neighbor, how I ask questions to my neighbor, how I understand my neighbor, and how I respond to my neighbor. Because for most of us, if we're being honest, in terms of taming the tongue, we've got like a couple of areas that we think it's a little bit difficult. But for a lot of the ways, we feel like we kind of have it down. And James just goes in on this subject and says, we all fall short in this. We're going to talk about where and why and how in just one second. So James, just to kind of make this a little more complex. James is writing to an audience that was facing a lot of persecution. If you know the history of the early church, then you know this. But if you're relatively new to Jesus or Christianity, then perhaps this is new news for you. As James was writing, persecution was ramping up. As James is penning these words, the Roman Empire, it became less of a part of Judaism. Christians believe this crazy thing that Jesus was God. And in fact, Jesus was the only God, which meant whoever the emperor was, wasn't God. And so the, the, not only the Jewish um, religion, but Rome as a whole became increasingly hostile and increasingly would persecute the church. And as with anything, when there is external pressure... It drives internal conflict. When there is external pressure, there's internal conflict. This is why oftentimes there can be conflict in marriage when there is no conflict in marriage, simply because job is stressful, work is stressful, finances are stressful, kids are stressful. There's this you know, exterior pressure, and it drives internal conflict. This is why for some of us, you go home at the end of the day, and you say, oh, hey, how was your day? It's like, my day, I hate you. It's like, whoa. You, know, you don't really say that, but your tone says that. You know what I'm saying. Um, if you say that, then we're going to pray for you after the service, okay? But which we love you. We're glad you're here. But the point is, is oftentimes there's something that comes out. You just, you, you snapping and it's a lot easier to snap because there's external pressure. Well, in the church, extraordinary external pressure as they were facing persecution, possible death for their faith and external pressure always drives internal friction. And so James writing to the church saying, this shouldn't be true of us. Now, he does it in chapter 3, verse 1, through an interesting avenue as an introducer. Verse 1, he says, So not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, he says, now we're about to start talking about some stuff about how we talk and how we relate and what we say. But let me just start here. The person who gets up and talks, whether it's the, the community group leader, whether it's the senior pastor, whoever it is, ought not to... We ought not just assume that anybody can do it. When we used to begin to work with um, new communicators and say, what do you, you know, read James 3 and what do you think it means? Some people would say, well, I think it's, you know, it means that, you know, people are going to judge you more harshly. Some people say, I think it's, you know, God's going to judge you more harshly. The truth is it's yes, you will be judged more harshly. And so he, he dovetails into this to say, hey, none of us are perfect. He says, we all stumble in verse two in many ways. That anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Now, this is, this is fascinating. This is what James is saying. Your ability, my ability, our ability to control what we communicate is directly connected to our level of holiness. Now, that's not a connection that we oftentimes make. But he's saying... 
You find someone who's perfect in what they say, you find someone who's perfect in what they do. You find someone who controls everything they communicate, and not like control, like you and I have a sense of a, of a, of a um, social filter. You know, like you step on a Lego at night and you say something that you wouldn't say if you were in the office that you stubbed your toe. Maybe you would. But, you know, for most of us, you know, you, we have this social filter that nine times out of ten, we're not saying exactly what we think, how we think it. We say exactly what we think in like a really like watered down way in a version that's, you know, socially palatable to everybody else because we have a social filter. But every once in a while, that filter breaks and something comes out. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? James says, exactly. We've all done that. It's not just what you say again. You get an email. Someone ticks you off. And so, you know, you got to send an email in response back. And it's like, all caps, you know, <laughs> Janet, this is what I think, Karen, you know, and you write your little thing and say, your thing. or, or, you know, someone posts online. Now, this, this, this is what's crazy. Cause he said, taming the tongue for us that, that basically meant communicate because for us, there are, they didn't have cell phones, right? They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have the interweb. They didn't have any of that stuff that happened. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Facebook messenger. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have Instagram messenger, which gets shady. You know, they didn't have Snapchat, which I don't even know. I still am I'm unsure what that is, but they didn't have all of these different things in, in places you could communicate. And they didn't, you know, this is like, I'm saying, Hey, we've all had that time where somebody posted this thing and what they said was just so ridiculous and unreasonable that I felt like my mission in life was to, you know, basically, you know, edify the world by correcting this person in 140 characters or less and saying, you are such an idiot because, you know, he's saying, we've all felt that way. We've all felt that pressure. In fact, we've all, you know, you've been looking and you've been seeing and you saw all the posts and you just said, oh, I just can't not respond anymore. We've all done this. In fact, even in the verbal What's interesting is I find, well, here's what actually uh, communications people will tell you. Only about 10% of what you communicate is the word you use. About 80% is the tone in 80, I don't know what it is, 80, 75%, in 10 to 15% is body language. Only about 10% is the words. In other words, you can mean to communicate something, but it doesn't mean that's interpreted that way because of the tone that you used. Tone is so difficult to control. Take, for instance, um, six words. I didn't say you were beautiful. It's interesting. You should do this if you're in charge of an organization. This is why communication is so important. You can take those six words. I didn't say you were beautiful. If you put a different emphasis on each one of those words, you get an entirely different meaning to that word. I didn't say you were beautiful. I didn't say that you were beautiful. I didn't say you were beautiful. <laughs> I thought it, you know. I didn't say you were beautiful, Karen, you know. <laughs> I didn't say you were beautiful because I think you are beautiful. And I didn't say you were beautiful. I said you were. I mean, come on. You know what you are. You know, here, here, here's the point. It is so, 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 so easy to miscommunicate. It is so easy for that social filter to break down, especially in the day and age that we live in when there is so much more communicating. In fact, I kind of have this like working philosophy or theory that it's not necessarily that people are more sensitive. It's just people communicate more and there's more to be offended by because there's more that people put out there because they had no social filter when they post online. Different sermon, different day, okay? So, shouts out to millennials on that one. I got, I got your back. Here's what he says next, okay? Verse 3, so we put bits into the mouths, mouths of horses to make them obey us. And we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. 
wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Now, here's, here's what's fascinating. Often when we talk about communication, communicating right, communicating wrong, miscommunicating, loving your neighbor through communication, what we think about is the impact it has on other people. But hear what he says. The horse is guided by the bit. The ship is guided by the rudder. He doesn't talk about what the horse is going to run into or what the ship is going to run into if it doesn't get controlled. He just says it's controlled. In other words, here's what, here's what you'd probably find through experience. Oftentimes, the direction and quality of your life are, are determined by what you communicate. Oftentimes, the direction and the quality of your life are determined by what you communicate. He says, think, this small, this tongue, this little thing with like six muscles, that's like probably the ugliest part of the visible parts of your body, okay? This, this thing has a huge impact. He continues and he says this. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He says, the tongue is also a fire. No, here's, here's, here's what I think is, is really, really fascinating. In a room like this, inevitably, some of us are here and you're, you know, either very anti-church, you're kind of, you know, on the, on the ins and outs of it. But for a lot of us, you've been hurt by a church person. You've been hurt by church people. Perhaps you're here as kind of like a last ditch effort to give it one more shot. And isn't this true? Oftentimes the most hurtful things, perhaps the way that you've been hurt the worst by the church, isn't by something someone did to you. It's by something someone said to you. And to them it was just a word. It was maybe a moment of indiscretion. They thought they were speaking true, whatever it was. But it was so hurtful to you. It was like this little spark that grew into this fire. And now you question God, you question Jesus, you question Christianity, you question the Bible, you question the church. And let me tell you, if I had experienced and heard what perhaps you have experienced and heard, I would probably agree. All I'm saying is, for many of us, we've stood on the other side of the spark. We've been a part of the fire. So James is saying, it is extraordinarily powerful what you communicate. In fact, he continues on. He said it corrupts the whole body. It says the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Now, this is where James is becoming a good Baptist pastor, you know, and it's going to hell, you know. But here's what that that word hell actually meant. Um, And by the way, I I make fun of all denominations equally, okay? So don't discriminate. Just make fun. Um, When he says hell... The idea behind that was not the physical place. It was the place from which all evil emanates. It was the, there can, there can be such an extraordinarily destructive tendency that happens in this. Verse 7. So all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Now pause. When he said this, I don't think he had uh, experienced mosquitoes. Okay. Because if you, anyway, 
I was thinking about that as I was leaving the coffee shop. I'm like getting like stung. I'm like, I, I wish I could tame you right now. Um, but the point, by the way, is not a domestication. It's that we aren't as a being in, existentially threatened by mosquitoes. Anyway, verse 8. <clears throat> but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, if you're a manager in here, James is not who you want to be your direct report. Because what he just said is, you and I can start great fires, can be incredibly destructive, and we can determine in a lot of ways the quality and the direction of our life by what we say. But here's the good news. You can't control it because we all fall short in it. Short in it. It's like, well, James, I don't know if you know how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to tell us the power that it has. And then you're supposed to tell us, man, but it's okay. You can do it. Use it for good. He's like, yeah, no, this is really powerful and you can't do it. <laughs> James, that's a lot of problems with no solutions. But he said, let me just make it a little bit worse for you in case you were wondering about this whole thing. Verse 9, so with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. We curse people. Now, you might not be like a specific people curser. In fact, well, here's, we all are, let's just be honest. Some of us are like direct human being cursers, and some of us are like indirect under our breath to our best friend human being cursers, you know? Subtweet on Twitter, you know, curse our human, whatever. I was actually, um, this is kind of an aside, but... Just because as, as I was reading through this, um, I got an opportunity to go on a trip uh, with my pops this last week. This, yeah, on Wednesday and Thursday, we um, I run our family's business, and we were going down to Tampa to work with some people who uh, we do some stuff with. And uh, as we're going down there, um, he's he's about seventy years old, and some of you guys know this. Um, as your parents get older, two things happen. One, you realize some stuff that you never really realized before about them. And two, um, they become secure in the fact that they can say whatever they want to say. And the fact that their age is, you know, around 70 just substantiates it and it doesn't matter. You know, no verbal filter anymore. And so my dad, who's already direct, which is kind of, kind of problematic in, in, anyway, um, we're driving and... <laughs> And if you've ever driven on the interstate, there's some things that bother him that will not bother you. Like, if you're going in the right lane, and someone's coming up in the left lane, they start to pass you, then they slow down, then they pass you, then they slow down. You have never seen a grown man get so angry at that. I'm telling you, he's like, what are you doing? You know, he's just like, like going off on this person next lane. I'm like, this guy is nuts. Like, how do we, like, what? <laughs> and so we're driving and then there's somebody in the, in the right lane as he's passing him, you know, and, you know, anyways, it's funny because he just like starts going nuts and he was like, he starts, he, he looks at me for affirmation. I'm like, yeah, dad, get him, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? Anyways, love my father. He's great. But here, here's the thing. He is a direct person. Some of us are indirect people. When it, when it comes to cursing people, we don't go to the person. We go to everybody but the person and talk about the person. So the person feels isolated. The person feels condemned. But we never said anything to them. You're such a nice person. We're going to pray for you. Isn't this true? We're in the office. Maybe it's one of your roommates. Maybe it's somebody in your class. Maybe somebody you're friends with and... And everybody knows this about that person. This person did something that frustrates you, that, that, that sets you off. And you were so mad that you went and talked to everybody else. 
And James is sitting there saying, come on. How can we do this? How can we do this? How can we say that we love God and at the same time curse the people who were made in the image of God? We can say we love Jesus and at the same time curse the people for whom Jesus died. We can say we love you, God. We can sing we love you, God. We can pray we love you, God. And then we can talk to all of his children and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I'm going to talk about you, I'm going to talk about you, I'm going to talk about you. We might not curse them to their face. We may curse them to their face. But either way, we have this roundabout way of doing this. And Jesus or James is saying through this, this ought not be. With it, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. We curse human beings who have been made in his, in his likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear, frig, bear figs? Now, in this, the the idea is simple. He finishes by saying this. Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. In other words, how can you say you love me but you hate my kid? On a practical level. If you tell me you, you love me but you curse my kid, we might throw bows in the parking lot because I'm not that saved yet, Okay? I will probably not listen to James 3 very well. I will try my best, and God, in the spirit of your you know, glorious Son, the Holy Spirit, God, be with these fists while I lay hands on this unbeliever, you know? But here, here, here's the reality. You can't tell me that you love me and then curse my kids. James is saying, this shouldn't be possible with each other. There should be no way. There should be no way that we can say, God, I love you, but I hate that kid of yours. God's saying, that's my kid. That's who I sent my son to die for. Now, here's the problem with James. He just ends. There is no resolution. (laughs) It's difficult. Again, because, let me just make this problem a little bit complex. He just said that your tongue is extraordinarily powerful. He just said that you can't tame it. I can't tame it. We can't control it. And then he said, you shouldn't love God and say, you know, cursings to other people or just speak poorly about other people or gossip about other people. He said, you shouldn't do that. And then it's like, okay, so James, so what should we do? And he says, okay, next verse. Let me talk about wisdom, you know. It's like, cool, man. I appreciate that. Now, here, here's what I'm going to do the rest of our time. A couple last couple minutes we had together. I want to give you the information that I think that James knew that this congregation that he was speaking to already knew. Because what James was doing was playing off of some words that Jesus had already said. If you got your Bible, you can flip open real quick. Flip over real quick. Only seems to be like a quick second. But in Luke chapter 6, James steals almost the exact same imagery. And I want you to see the conclusion that he comes to. If you got your Bible, Luke. Six, this is what he says. Verse 43. It's kind of a retelling of some of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, no good tree bears, bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Similar. A good man, this is his conclusion, Jesus speaking, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. In a just extraordinarily loaded sentence, he says this. For from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, as some translation would say it, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's the beautiful thing is that while your tongue is very difficult, while your tongue is, is very powerful, is very difficult to tame, we just are, are oftentimes hypocritical in how we do it. And by the way, James chapter 1, who said, you know, hey, if you can't control your tongue, then you have no Christianity, basically. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. It's not yours to control. Your tongue, your mouth, is simply a lagging indicator to indicating what your condition, what is the condition of your heart. It is the effect, not the cause. And if you try to wrestle the effect to the ground, you will never do so effectively because the effect is simply effect of what is causing it. That if you want to wrestle your tongue, you can't do it because your tongue simply is the overflow of what's existing in your heart. So let me ask this question. How's your heart? You might have a great social filter. You might have the ability to just do an incredible job at people thinking, oh man, because I put on a smile and I, you know, and they said we're so nice and wow, you know, they just were so, you know, they use a church word edifying, you know. But you know, you know what you have with that conversation with that one person that you trust. You know what happened in that conversation with that one person that were, you know what happened when you just sat down and you wrote the thing. Jesus is saying, yeah. When everyone else stops by, back and steps back, when all of a sudden the, the, the social filter breaks, they say, where did that come from? Jesus says, I'll tell you. Came from your heart. Now you've got to get this. This is the beauty. It is not our job to change our hearts. God so loved us He saw our hearts weren't good. God so loved us that he saw that we were sinful. God so loved us in his holiness and in his perfection. He knew that we weren't good. And in seeing that, he sent his son to the earth so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be covered. But this crazy thing happens, as the Bible would talk about it. That our heart of stone becomes a a heart of flesh. That we are now new creations. That we have a new heart. That we have a new purpose. That we are now reborn in a spiritual sense. In other words, my heart changes when Christ enters. And from time to time, I forget that God has control of my heart. And I try to take it all back and take it all back and take it all back. But the point of being a Christian is simply to say, God... Would you continue to work on my heart? I relinquish control of my life. God, you have everything. I submit everything to you. In Christianity, we spend so much time trying to do behavior modification that is simply the effect of the cause of the condition of our heart. So let me ask this question again. How is your heart today? You will never be perfect at this. There will always be a battle. Let me be honest, man. This weekend was awful. Like, I don't know why this happens, but for some reason, mama goes out of town and kids decide to just, like, they, like the plague hits our house, okay? 
kid, you know, Rody, our, our one and a half year old, throwing up and no temperature. It's the weirdest thing. So he's throwing up. I think he's fine. And I, as a good dad, give him way too much food, blah, you know, all comes back up. And so then he's doing pretty good. But Ava, she's, you know, three and a, and a quarter or so, which whatever's three. And, and, and she, you know, is helpful. And then all of a sudden, you know, about, about 12, you know, midnight last night, she comes in her room, daddy, I don't feel good. You know, okay, well, that's okay. And I'm thinking, whatever, you know, you're three, you don't get it. So, you know, go back, go back to bed. And then about 2.15, wow, just like all over her bed. And, 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 I'm, and she wakes me up. And, and you know how it is, like that point where you're in like mid-rim cycle and you're like, did someone just die? Because, like, I'm reacting that way the entire time. And so, like, we, you know, I go in there and, you know, get the sheets and do the whole thing. And I'm like, then, I, I'm, I'm, my wife, I love my wife so much. And I would die. I, I wouldn't die without her. But we would hire lots of people. Because, like, if you're, you know, seriously, if you're a single parent here, I have so much respect for you. Because I'm sitting there like, what do I do with? Like, I have, like, there's so many things in our house that have throw up on them. Like, like I'm literally, we have this, like, thing that we wash our dog. And I'm, like, filling it up with water. You know, I'm like, I just... I don't know what to do. So I just, anyway, sanitize, wash. I fit nonetheless. So then, you know, we're starting to go to bed and, and then, uh, and then, um, so I, I get her, put her in my bed and, and which we don't normally do, but you know, whatever mom's out of town, dad rules the house. So, so, you know, she, and then she threw up, so I don't know what to do. So I, you know, again, then we get a little bucket. And so we're just finally going back to sleep. It's like three 30 in the morning and it's like, daddy, I need to throw up. And I'm like, dear God, you know, <laughs> and so like, I you know, slide this little thing and, you know, sure enough and whatever. So we finally get back to bed and then we wake up in the morning and like, you know, I got one kid crying and then, you know, she's feeling good. And, and then, you know, again, she you know, gets sick and, and, and then praise God for Larry and Shane and Doc, cause they were coming over to the house anyways. And they were just going to help get the kids ready for, for church. Um, and so we head out, I'm taking way too long with the story. I'm so sorry. I just need to vent. Okay. Group therapy. <laughs> Let me tell you my prayer on the way to church this morning. This is, just, this is just the realness that this is for me. God, in my heart right now is frustration. The last thing that I want to do is to give a sermon about the heart. But me coming to the realization, but God, I know my heart is full of anger and evil, frustration at times. But would you please take my heart? Because there are people that are going to show up that want to hear about you and need to hear your life changing. And perhaps they just need to hear that somewhere in America is another pastor who struggles with the exact same thing that they do. Because we will never be perfect at controlling our, our heart. The point is, is it on your radar? How's your heart this morning? Is it for the Lord? There's a God who so loves you, who gave his son to die for you. Who so desperately, desperately was willing to sacrifice to give us a new heart. So don't you dare walk out thinking, okay, I just need to, to, to start to talk better. That's an indicator to say, how is your heart doing? Have you taken a second in the last month to question that? If you're a Christian, perhaps for you it's your first time considering that. Considering Jesus, let me just tell you, God's expectation was never for you to be perfect. It was just simply for you to realize that he's perfect. Not for you to earn your way, but to realize that he already provided the way. Not to have a great heart and a great attitude and a great behavior, but to realize as he gives you his spirit living inside of you, he creates in you a new heart, a new being, a new person. We're going to end this probably the most appropriate way that we can think to do this. We're going to take communion together.
It was right before Jesus died. He got his core followers together. And he said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. This is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. Whenever you, you take this meal, I want you to do it. And I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what's about to happen. Because then he would go out and he would be, he would be hung on a cross. He would be whipped. His, his body would be broken. His blood would be shed for us. So that our hearts could be made new. If there's one thing that has the power to radically transform your heart, it's simply this. The realization of God's love for you. So I hope as we take communion, the love of God just washes over you. And if as you think, how's my heart? The answer is it's not good. I'm going to ask that, 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 that as we take communion, we don't necessarily do it row by row. It's that you, you spend time thinking, you spend time praying, and as you feel led, as you feel like you're ready to say, God, take my heart. It's not good right now, it's not great not right now, but God, help me to become the person that you call me to be as you transform my heart into a heart for you, into a heart for people. You will never tame your tongue through willpower. You will never tame your communication. You will never tame your fingertips on that email through through the idea of just let me try, 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 try. It's through a renewed heart and what just comes out of you is the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much that you gave your son for us. God, on the night before you died, you gathered your closest disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. So do this and remember me as you do it. Remember what's about to be done. Remember the sacrifice that's going to be made. And God, I pray that in these next few minutes, as folks stand up out of rows, come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the, the wine, which is 2018 grape juice. God, I pray that you would radically transform our hearts. Because we know all we are is simply the overflow of our heart, which is transformed by your love. God, would you just wash over us with your love, change our hearts into the likeness of you, Jesus. And I pray that through that, we would be a group of people who passionately love your children because our heart is for you, God, and our heart can't be for you and hate the people that you died for. Curse the people which you love and created in your image. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.